Thank you for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. We're going to outline the December Blu-ray releases in this episode. And of course, we are joined by Adam in that task. Yes, I am here in uh, on the downside of a, a COVID uh, encounter, unfortunately. But, um, you know, we're going to get the job done. You know, we're going to soldier on here. So, uh Got some uh, December titles, um, and there's some um, uh, some pretty interesting ones, I should say. And we can start off with um, this is a title that's been um, in huge demand for a while because I think most of the James Cagney gangster films had been available on uh, Blu-ray at some point, but this is one that had not. Somehow the rights. Had lapsed, and Warner Brothers uh, had, was uh, they were not able to secure the rights to this one. Not sure what the story was behind it, but it was Angels with Dirty Faces from 1938, and they finally figured all that out, and it's been issued uh, as part of the Warner Archive collection. Um, this it's all, is it's uh, all those music rights was holding was holding up the uh, <laughs> <laughs> all those pop tunes. I got, had to go back to those bands and. <laughs> well, you, you, well there uh it's there was something going on i'm not sure i know that's been that there's for years that's been requested and they kept saying they couldn't do it because there's a rights thing and it, it's weird because all the other ones are out there you know so it was and it's in his hard. four or five most popular titles right of course yeah and it's a good one it really is uh it's james cagney and pat o'brien they were um this was their sixth time i think teaming up and uh cagney is a you know he's ghetto tough is how they bill him in the uh, the film's uh, description, and he's an uh, underworld uh, figure that everybody knows. But his childhood friend decided to leave the underworld and go into the priesthood, and he uh, so you know it's one of those things where they're they were friends as kids and have gone different ways as adult uh, different way as adults and then the dead end kids uh turn up in this film and they're they're heading in the same direction that James Cagney was and so his priest friend tries to get him to help out these kids and uh, point them in the right direction and then there's Humphrey Bogart here he's uh, James Cagney's lawyer uh his le- legal guy and he steals some money from him and there's a subplot there and so this was before Bogart of course was a leading man so but it's a it's a pretty good pretty good role for him you know good good max steiner scorer and of course directed by michael curtis and so uh you know it's good i i would say if i had uh to complain about it the only thing i would say is wrong with it is it has one of those uh endings where the bad guy must be punished as they used to do with those uh code (laughs) and it feels a little uh it, it feels a little out of character basically because the previous Oh, I don't know, 85 minutes of the film, they build up the James Cagney character as a pretty tough guy. And then suddenly he's, he decides to become yellow so he can teach the kids a, a, a lesson and and they won't fall into the same lifestyle that he fell into. And it just I don't know, it doesn't quite ring true. But there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of snappy dialogue and the film looks great. You know, the Warner Archive people always do such a great job. So anyway, um, some extras here, too. Uh, Leonard Malton hosts the. Warner Night at the Movies 1938 uh, with a newsreel and a music short. And there's cartoon Porky and Daffy theatrical trailers and a featurette on the movie and, oh, an audio commentary and a radio introduction with two of the film stars. So anyway, uh, I would say Angels with Dirty Faces is a uh, is one of the better releases of the month from Warner Archive. It was good to see it and good to revisit the film and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, you ever watch those old Bob Costas interviews? I do. On, on, on later, yes. There's. Mm-hmm. I was watching one the other day with Rod Steiger, and Rod Steiger, one of his earliest movies was Humphrey Bogart's Last, and he was telling a story of working with Bogey, and obviously he was sick with cancer, mm-hmm. and he never complained, never missed a day, never said anything about it. Nobody knew, but uh, that interview is interesting because Steiger's like sobbing throughout it. Really? He's got tears running down his face. And Costas is like, are you always like this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steiger has such an intensity about him. He does. Or did. Did, yes. And he was like, have you, have you ever 
taken that too far in movies where it was like out of place. And he said, yeah, the January man. It's like, I, 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 I totally lost it in the January man, mm. which he did. You can watch it, watch that scene where he's screaming at Kaitel and Aiello. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? It's like this <laughs> massive blow up. Wow. But yeah, that's on YouTube. Look up that. I mean, that's a very emotional interview. Hmm. I'll have to I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, probably one of my favorite films that Sidney Lumet ever directed would be The Pawnbroker, which I find that to be a shattering film uh, with Steiger in that. It's it's just an incredible experience it was for me anyway. Yeah, he cries about that. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> I I can kind of give him some sympathy for that one because that's a powerful movie. That really is. It packs a wallop. And uh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, good, good stuff. Well, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I, I have I've been tending uh, I've tended to go and look up some of the musician interviews that Costas did. That's the ones I've been going for. Uh, so I need to focus more on some of the movie actors and directors and things of that nature on there, because those are real gems and the television people that are long gone, too, you know, Um yeah, he's, he interviewed a lot of great ones. And, I know. And, and there are hundreds hundreds of those clips on YouTube. Um, be great if they were preserved by Peacock Channel or something. Oh, I so wish. I yeah. so wish you could just go up there and pull up the entire series. But I watched uh, an interview with uh, they did with... Uh, oh, there's James Gardner, and then there's John Frankenheimer, and the, he mm-hmm. interviewed a lot of interesting people. Yeah, and he was so uh, he did his research. Uh, un, un, unlike a lot of these podcasters who, <laughs> you know, I won't name any names, but there are a lot of these podcasters who are renowned who refuse to do any research and just uh, yeah. start asking questions and sometimes embarrass themselves. He was very uh, he knew these people's careers, whether he was genuinely interested in them or not. I don't know. He put up a. Uh, he, if he wasn't interested, he certainly disguised that fact. I'll oh, say so that it was, about him. You know, one thirty in the morning, so it was, or whenever it aired, it was late enough and off the mm-hmm. radar enough that he could get away with conducting a smart conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is true. Well, it was good stuff. It was uh, back in the days when the uh, the days of the old VCR. I would set mine on a regular basis and, and watched a lot of those when they. When they aired originally, I remember the Randy Newman when he did was uh, I think there was so much material there. He did three parts, yeah, like three episodes. And I remember because I was always a huge Randy Newman fan. That was fantastic back in the day. I haven't seen it probably in thirty years. Yeah, he yeah. had he had to make the Steiger one a two parter too, since well, it was, since it was becoming a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I want to go on there. I found the Glenn Campbell one uh, the other day and started to watch it, and I got sidetracked, so I need to to do that one as well so yeah good stuff good call well um beavis and butthead do america we'll segue there speaking of smart yep well it does have the uh the voice of robert stack in it so you know it's not all bad uh yeah it's uh this was the big screen debut and really the only big screen animated film they ever did of uh with featuring the characters of beavis and butthead um, obviously based on the MTV series that was super popular at the time and uh, 25th anniversary edition, uh, first Blu-ray issue of Beavis and Butthead Do America and there's the commentary, uh, I think these were uh, previously issued extras, uh, Mike Judge and Yvette Kaplan commentary and uh, the scoring of Beavis and Butthead Do America, the Smackdown MTV News, Celebrity Shorts, Trailers TV Spots, so for anybody who was uh, wondering if uh, or was looking forward to getting a Blu-ray release of Beavis and Butthead to America. Well, your your prayers have been answered. Do a full cavity search. Don't stop till you reach the back of their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good stack impression. It's good. Oh yeah, Krampus, the uh, the Christmas horror film from 2015, has been issued in a uh, oh, it's being billed as Krampus the Naughty Cut which is a new 4K issue from Scream Factory that uh, features an alternate cut of the film Krampus. 
and uh, I think the original cut is featured as well. There are a few new extras, I think a new commentary, maybe some new uh, featurettes, and um, a lot of the previously, I think all of the previously issued extras are available as well. So uh, Krampus, the naughty cut. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit has finally made its way to 4K disc. Uh, Disney, of course, has been notoriously slow in getting their 4K physical discs or catalog titles out on 4K physical disc. But this was one exception. They finally have chosen to issue Who Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And uh, they also notoriously don't send out review product. And um, so I didn't get a review copy of it, although I did uh, pull the trigger and I ordered one. I haven't gotten it yet. It's on the way. It's a little, it was on back order. So we'll get that one soon, hopefully, and uh, we'll be able to check it out for myself. But I think all the previous extras are there. I don't know that there are anything that there's anything new other than the new transfer, 4K transfer of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I I understand the. Um, the animation is actually painted on the original film negative, so it's uh, it's kind of unique in that way, is what I was told. I, I hope my information is correct. Anyway, should should look quite splendid, I would assume. Uh, the Karate Kid Collection 4K, all th- all three of the Karate Kid films have been issued in 4K. Well, there are four uh, the first Karate Kid there. films. Yeah, well, this is the original Karate Kid, I guess the. Uh, just it's being billed as the the Karate Kid collection and not the Karate Kid and the new next Karate Kid, <laughs> just the the first three. Uh, yeah, just the this Ralph is, Macchio ones, right? Yeah, and the uh, no, yeah, Pat Morita, no Hillary Swank. Yeah, no Hillary Swank. Yeah, minus the Hillary Swank. But um, yeah, these that's are, too uh, bad get, get, because the, Hil- the the Hillary Swank one is better than the third one. Yeah, I thought it was not bad. Uh, it, it, that was my it, take on it as well. It has one of Pat Morita's best moments in that whole franchise. Mm-hmm. The third one is just what? what? It, it's, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. In that, you know, I'm a fan of Cobra Kai, and I appreciate the returning of that character, the villain from the third one. But he's terrible in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, it's just an embarrassingly over the top performance in that third one from that guy. But, oh yeah. But uh, but the fourth one actually has has some moments that work, and the third uh-huh. you can't say the same for the third one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think I've seen the third one since it came out in the theaters in the summer of '89. I think that's the last time I saw it. the one and only time. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw the first two multiple times, but I don't think I've ever returned to the third one. Although I'd be I'd be willing to do so, uh, uh, even going into it knowing it's not that great. Uh, I've been thinking that I should just go back and revisit all three of them and then just start with the Cobra Kai. I've only, uh, I haven't really gotten into that. I want to, I want to see it because they, uh, all, everybody says it's really well done. And as far as those types of, I enjoy it. Go. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a kiddish, a kiddish show. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why am I enjoying this so much? It's so ridiculous and juvenile, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it still works. Um, right, yeah, yeah. But the uh, I rewatched all the Karate Kids uh, a year or two ago, so they're pretty fresh in my memory. And I'd never seen the Hillary Swank. I never gave it a chance before that. Oh, really? Mm. So that was my first viewing of it a year or two ago. And you were pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's not, nothing great. It's no great shakes, but it's still. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, all right, uh, we'll, uh, we will say that uh, Harold and Maude, I think we talked about this earlier, that uh, Paramount has ceased licensing their catalog titles to Criterion. So any of the Paramount titles that you have that were uh, previously on Criterion, uh, they, they are now out of print and uh, pro- probably quite valuable. This goes for the Nashville that they put out and uh, oh, Days of Heaven and seconds and don't look now all those are uh, no longer available as part of criterion and uh, criterion is now i mean or rather paramount is now issuing reissuing some of these titles as paramount titles uh and one of those is harold and maude uh which has made its uh blu-ray debut on the paramount label it was previously available on blu-ray from criterion and this is uh, a new 
edition, which uh, does not carry over the extras from Criterion, obviously, but it does have a new commentary with Larry Karaszewski and Cameron Crowe. And you have a featurette here with Cat Stevens uh, talking about his music from Harold and Maude and the trailers. And it's part of the Paramount Presents line, which means that the packaging has a, uh, a reproduction of the film poster inside on the uh, on the inner sleeve there. And uh, it's a new 4K transfer. Uh, they've done a remastering of the film. Looks better than ever. So uh, if you're a Harold and Maude fan, and uh, it's hard not to be, right? Uh, this is uh, has made its way... Uh, on to Paramount's line of the Paramount Presents titles for its 50th anniversary. And so there we go. Um, the Kino titles, we'll just go, th- go through all of these all at one time. The Kino Lorber Studio Classics for the month of December. Uh, in 4K, they have issued Hard Target, the uh, John Woo. I guess this was his American debut, I believe, at the time. I think it was his yeah. first American film. Uh, there was a lot of studio interference, from what I understand, uh, when it, he had his ideas, you know, and wanted it to be more of a film of the types that he was making in his, uh, in, in Hong Kong, his films that he had done with Ch- Chow Yun Fat, but, uh, this was a universal production, of course, they wanted a more Americanized version, and so, uh, his original cut was, has not been seen, but it's, uh, it's available here. Uh, the unrated international cut from a 4K scan of the original camera negative. So uh, that's uh, that's a first here for this one. It also includes a new interview with director John Woo and a new interview with Lance Henriksen, new interview with actress Yancey Butler, and it's obviously a new 4K transfer, as I just said. And so you get the original cut of Hard Target, the... Uh, John Woo, Claude, Jean-Claude Van Damme film, and uh, and you also get the um, uh, the uh, international cut that's not been seen. Uh, Get Crazy was uh, this was a film that's long been requested, hard, very hard to find. There was a copy on YouTube, but um, it's uh, Alan Arkush. It's kind of a follow-up to his Rock and Roll High School, and it's. Uh, it's about a, uh, a theater owner attempting to stage the biggest rock and roll concert of all time. And it has Malcolm McDowell and uh, Alan Garfield, who's billed in the film as Alan Gurwitz, Daniel Stern and Miles Chapin. And it's uh, it's a pretty funny movie, actually. It has a lot of uh, it's kind of a satire of the music business, as it were, in 1982, uh, where the film takes place. And um it's. I was delighted to see it finally after I've heard about it for, for so many years and its legend uh, preceded it. What's it called? Uh, Get Crazy, oh. 1983, but it takes place in 1982. And um, anyway, uh, Malcolm McDowell plays a. Uh, obviously, he's his character is patterned after um, Mick Jagger in the film. And so uh, there's uh, and uh, there's another uh, musical act in the film that's obviously a, a riff on The Grateful Dead, and that, there's some good jokes at their expense. So I, I would recommend it. It's it's good stuff. Um, it's the this includes a new audio commentary by Alan Arkush and filmmaker Eli Roth and filmmaker historian Daniel Creamer. Uh, the After Party is a documentary with the cast and crew, fan fiction with No Dogs in Space featurette, and trailers from Hell segment with Alan Arkush and three music videos. So Get Crazy, which has been very hard to find, has finally made its way to Blu-ray courtesy of Kino Lorber. Uh, number 17 is a uh, film by Alfred Hitchcock from 1932, one of his uh, early early films. This is a real short one, only runs 63 minutes, and it's um, it's one of his British films, of course. And um, anyway, this includes a uh, new commentary and uh, a documentary there, Hitchcock: The Early Years. Uh, also, Broken Lullaby is an Ernst Lubitsch film uh speaking of uh, billy wilder this was his uh, mentor of course and <laughs> he we were talking about him off the air earlier and anyway early Ern, ernst lubitsch film broken lullaby from 1932 and this stars lionel barrymore and nancy carroll and zezu pitts and there's new commentary on this by joseph mcbride mm-hmm. uh the long goodbye has been issued in a special edition it was previously available i think from olive films 
And now uh, it has it has it had gone out of print, and now it's uh, back in print thanks to this new special edition with a uh, a new 4K master transfer, a new comment commentary by Tim Lucas. Uh, we also have a uh, Rip Van Marlowe, a featurette with Robert Altman and Elliot Gould. Uh, Bill Mo Sigmund talks about flashing the long goodbye, the uh, one of the processes that he used to uh, achieve the look of the film. David Thompson on Robert Altman, a featurette. And um, there are a couple other featurettes here, too, as well as an American cinematographer 1973 article with animation and a trailers from hell segment on the long goodbye. So, um, you know, if you're a fan of this one, and uh, I think we both are, we could safely say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, might be worth the upgrade. I have the, uh, the Arrow video version of it uh, that was released several years ago. And that's the one that uh, it has some feature extras that are not uh, available in America on stateside. So I'm keeping my uh, my Aero video release of it that I I have, but um, yeah, it might be worth an upgrade there. Well, who, uh, so but, so who, what company put out this one? Uh, Kino. This is a Kino, Kino Lorber okay. release. Yeah, Studio Classics. Yes. Uh, yes, we have Mr. Majestic. Charles Bronson is a watermelon farmer whose whose uh, crop is being threatened by gangsters in this uh, uh, who are represented by Al Lettieri of The Godfather, and uh, this also stars Lee Purcell and Paul Coslow, and um, it's uh, you know pretty well regarded of its type. This is uh, features a new commentary by Paul Talbot author of Bronson's Loose Books, interview Mm -hmm. with the director of photography, Richard Klein, as well. So Mr. Majestic has uh, been out of print, but it is back in print now. Busting is uh, from director Peter Hyams, his first film, actually. And this stars Elliot Gould and Robert Blake. as uh, It's kind of a, I guess, a crime drama slash comedy. And uh, they are uh, members of the L.A. Vice Squad, and it just kind of follows them around with their exploits. And uh, there's some incredible uh, se- uh, sequences in this film that uh, were shot before the, um, you know, the Steadicam. But it looks as if it was a Steadicam they used to shoot this, and it's pretty amazing some of the stuff that they were able to pull off, knowing that it was not a Steadicam uh, that, that, uh, that they used. So um, a, a pretty pretty amazing stuff, but... Anyway, uh, I would recommend Busting if you haven't seen it. It's a breezy 92 minutes, and uh, uh, Alan Garfield turns up in this one as well, along with Antonio Fargas and Sid Haig and a few others. Uh, 21 Hours at Munich is a 1976 made-for-television film that is a recreation of the events at the uh, 1972 Olympics, of course, where the uh, you know the, the athletes were... Uh, Kidnapped and all that stuff. Uh, William Holden, Shirley Knight, Franco Nero is in this one. New commentary by uh, Gary Garani. And it also includes two aspect ratios of the film, the the, uh, TV ratio and the theatrical ratio. So there you go. Um, We have uh, Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema 5, which includes uh, Because of You, starring Loretta Young and Jeff Chandler, Outside the Law. Uh, That's... uh, Story is directed by Jack Arnold and the Midnight Story starring Tony Curtis. And those are all three part of a box set. Uh, and then we have Bedtime Story from this is 1980, 1983. Uh, I'm sorry. No, this is um, not 1983 or. Yeah, it is 1983. This is. Um, I don't know why it's saying 1983. This can't be because it's uh, looks to be 60s. Yeah, it has to be 1963. Uh, Marlon Brando. And David Niven, Shirley Jones, and Dodie Goodman starring this comedy. Yeah, this has to be 1963, because I think David Niven died in 1983. So anyway, misprint there. <clears throat> the Brass Bottle from 19... Uh, okay, 64. Yeah, well, there we go. The Brass Bottle is another 60s comedy starring Tony Randall and Burl Ives and Barbara Eden. And that has been issued with a commentary by uh, Lee Gambin. And a pair of Alan Alda films here have been issued by Kino Lorber. The Seduction of Joe Tynan from 1979, directed by Jerry Schatzberg. And this is uh, about a senator who uh, is faced with all sorts of temptations, uh, both to his marriage and otherwise. And uh, 
It's written by Alan Alda. I think it was the first feature film he had written. Um, written, of course, uh, during the um, written and released during the his time on Mash. Uh, it's it's pretty well done, I think. Uh, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but uh, there's some good stuff there, and I have always enjoyed it. And it was good to revisit that. Uh, it includes a new commentary by uh, entertainment journalist and author Brian Reisman. And uh, also stars, of course, uh, Meryl Streep in an early role, Barbara Harris, Rip Torn, Melvin Douglas. And another Alan Alda film that was issued is The Four Seasons, which was one of his one of that year's biggest hits, 1981. And it's about um, three couples and their ups and downs during the four seasons of the film's title. And it's Alan Alda, Carol Burnett, Rita Moreno, uh, Sandy Dennis, Bess Armstrong and Jack Weston. And... Um, this uh, was directed as well by Alan Alda and includes a new commentary by Brian Reisman as well. Revenge of the Shogun Women in 3D. That's from 1977. And that has been issued uh, in 3D. And then we have a couple of uh, other things that they have issued during the month. Blue Monkey from 1987, a horror film. Uh, Checkered Flag or Crash is an uh, action film uh, starring Joe Don Baker and Susan Sarandon and Larry Hagman. I remember the trailers for this running at our local theater when I was a kid, probably in about second grade or something, going to the movies and seeing the previews for Checkered Flag or Crash from 1977, but I've never seen the film and would kind of like to just because I used to see the trailers all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was one of those that uh, I remember. I remember very fondly those previews for it. And, uh, you know, just never did see it. Uh, Mass Appeal from 1984, directed by Glenn Jordan, starring uh, Jack Lemmon, of course, Charles Durning, Gloria Stewart. That has uh, has finally been issued on Blu-ray. And uh, The Dead Pit from 1990 or 1989, rather, is a uh, well-regarded horror film. I've seen that one. It's pretty, pretty effective. It's been a while since I've seen it. But anyway, uh, so there's your Kino Lorber releases for the month of... December 2021. So, yeah, that takes care of those. I figured we'd just go ahead and uh, uh, take care of all of those all at once. Quite a few there. Um, Peachy Kino. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Boy, they pump out the titles, don't they? That's that's quite a few for the, for just one month. Uh, and then you have uh, Criterion, on the other hand. They uh, they have only they've issued their titles for the month. Their, uh, rather, their titles for the month of December, they uh, only issued three. Uh, one Night in Miami is one of those, which was uh, the oh, the directorial debut of Regina King that was well-reviewed from 2020. And this uh, includes a, a new 4K digital transfer, a new conversation between uh, King and filmmaker Casey Lemons, and uh, a couple other featurettes, and, um, and even a program on the film sound design. So uh, One Night in Miami finally getting a... A, uh, a disc release. That's uh, I'm I'm so glad that that's happening because I feel like a lot of these movies that are big streaming titles, uh, they're not really getting uh, disc releases. And so when they if they decide to pull them from the sites, I wonder what happens to them. It's a good it's a good since there's no physical component. Wonder what happens. Uh, well, I mean I can't speak for 50 years from now or whatever, but you know if it's an Amazon production, it's always going to be on Prime. Until there is no more Prime. Well, I guess that's true. One Night that's... in Miami is an Amazon production, right? Uh, I think so, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I believe you were correct. So, yeah, but... Um... Thank you, Ed. You're, <laughs> you're correct, <laughs> sir. You're correct, sir. <clears throat> yeah, um, so I've got my titles. You can hear the, the shrink wrap. I know we oh, talked good. about this yep. last time. Yep. Rattle your shrink wrap. Hang on, let yes. me get a, let me get some clean audio of that so I can insert it every now and then. Hang on, do it again. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, let me see. Make sure I've gotten them, but I'm keeping them separated. The ones we've already talked about. You can hear me slapping them around. There we go. <clears throat> God, you must not have much space left in your in I'm your having... place. I do have to give some. I have to give some of them away from time to time. It's just uh, you know I have uh, my friends always uh, love coming to visit because they <laughs> they, 
They know there's something in it for them besides just wow. having lunch. So it's <laughs> lunch and a box of Blu-rays. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is getting to be. Uh, it's it's hard to decide which ones that you want to, you know, that you have space for. And and sometimes it's it's a simple matter of like in the in the case of this next title, it's just a matter of basically. Um, uh, just upgrading. Old, yeah. Yeah, replacing an old one. Like, uh, yeah, I was going to mention uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. I might as well get to it while we're. I'll digress. Yeah, but it has been issued on 4K, and I had it on Blu ray, of course, from years ago, but uh, now they upgraded it to 4K, so I just took my Blu ray and took it off the shelf and put the put the 4K on there. And, uh, of course, um, you know, I don't think there's anything new here as far as the special features. It's just kind of the stuff that's recycled from the last edition, but it has been given the 4K upgrade. and I am a fan of this film. I I think you are too. So, yeah. Uh, it was quite the quite extraordinary when I and you know is I think it's safe to say that just in the this movie's only oh not even quite it's just about eight years old I guess at this point I don't even think it could get made now just eight years later I really don't think so. Mm. So uh, that's how quick we've changed. I really don't see it happening. Well. Yeah. I guess. I think it got. I, I. I don't. I don't think it generally could have been made back then, unless it was Scorsese doing it. And yeah, now, right. Now right. Scorsese's done a, a western. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess the western's made for Apple. That he's doing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I just. True. I just always found it so ironic that. Scorsese. Is enjoying his biggest successes in the last part of his career, which is so rare. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Well, the learning tree is another of the criterion titles. We'll, uh, this is, uh, from 1969. It's, uh, director Gordon Parks, uh, remembrance of growing up in the 1920s in Kansas. And, uh, this features uh, a new documentary on the making of the film, a uh, new conversation about the influence of director Gordon Parks and my father Gordon Parks is a documentary made on the set and narrated by uh, Gordon Parks Jr. And uh, Unstoppable is a documentary featuring producer Warrington Hudlin in conversation with Parks and filmmakers Ossie Davis and Melvin Van Peebles from 2005. So the Learning Tree has uh, has been issued from 1969. I guess what I'm saying is, I guess what I'm saying is you're correct about the Wolf of Wall Street thing. Okay. <laughs> yes. My thoughts are catching up to uh to 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 build that conclusion that I agree with you. Because okay. Wolf of Wall Street was what? Was that that was Paramount or Universal? Which, uh, it was Paramount, yes. Yeah. And now, I mean, he's still able to make movies like that in 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 the Scorsese vein, but they have to be done through streaming. So Yeah. No, no that's ma- what I mean, yeah, yeah, no major studio. Yeah, the, where they splash it on several thousand screens and a movie like that. No, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, DiCaprio helps though. Yeah, and you know what? I uh, I have to admit he's he, he's pretty amazing. The fact that he still refuses to be in a Marvel film and uh, sticks to his guns with that, you know, takes it pretty seriously. Not that there's anything wrong. I mean, if that's what you want to do, but I just think that's interesting that he's. Uh, well, stick with the truly stick with the great directors, you know. Yeah, he's, that's he's, what I mean. Yeah, he's, he's generally boring at he's the... generally done, and I uh, and I do think Wolf of Wall Street represents a real breakthrough for him. I mean, I feel I feel like he was uh, he was so pedal to the metal on that, and and uh, he had tendency to be kind of guarded in performances, but mm-hmm. uh, Wolf of Wall Street I thought was a real breakthrough. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that was he was definitely putting it out there. No doubt about it. Well, while we're talking about Leo, did you see Don't Look Up? And uh, what was your take on that? Because that's been fiercely dividing audiences. Yeah. It, uh... I generally don't care for his movies, uh, Adam McKay. Yeah, right. I mean, I thought it was loud and mm-hmm. and uh, sh- shriekish and um, too true and on the nose to be funny. I mean, I don't know how you do it because we're living in parody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. yeah, it's true. So that 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 just it, the movie just frustrated me more than it, it could entertain me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just I didn't quite like it. Yeah, I uh, I get that. 
I, I, I get that. I um, I will say that I liked it better than Power of the Dog, uh, which I know I'm in the minority on that one, uh, and that's okay. I'll take my lumps. But uh, well, one you know, is I, uh, one is. Uh, I mean, I would imagine the Jane Campion movie is is composed of much subtlety. And don't look up is like the polar opposite. On the nose, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, I'm a big fan of the piano, but I just uh, Power of the Dog was to me it was it was incredibly well lensed. The, the cinematography is amazing and uh, good performances. The film itself is just uh, it was a slog. I thought uh, mm. it was basically 110 minutes to a 15 minute payoff, and I just didn't it didn't didn't do it for me. And I know yeah, I'm in the minority I, I on that. To, I have to get around to watching that. I have to watch that. I yeah. have to watch Pig. I mean, they haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, well, you'll get there, I guess. But the two two movies I anticipated the most, Licorice Pizza and that one, I I, I dislike both of them, and I hate. I know I I am definitely in the minority, so maybe maybe my time has come and gone. But anyway. <laughs> well, they say that COVID uh, makes you lose your taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Hit the nail on the head. Yep. Well, anyway, so we'll move along to the Red Shoes, which has made its 4K Ultra HD debut. You know, this is only the second month that Criterion has been issuing 4K titles. They just made their debut with their first batch of 4K titles in November. Right. And the Red Shoes made its way to 4K disc, and it looks great, of course. This is the classic Michael Powell, Emmerich Pressburger collaboration about the ballerina who is torn between her... Uh, the impresario who gives her her career and the, and the composer that she works with, she falls in love with him. And I've always found this film to be, uh, you know, a mixed bag. I know a lot of people hold it in such high esteem. It's gorgeous to look at. Love it. Uh, but I don't really feel like there's a, there's a 20 minute sequence in the middle of the film where it's nothing but ballet. If you're a ballet fan, you'll just eat it up like candy. But I'm not a huge ballet fan, and that sequence in the middle just brings the film to a grinding halt for 20 minutes. Mm. And as beautiful as it is to look at, it's really tough. The film does pick up a lot of speed during the last 35 minutes, and it gets uh, it gets the job done. So I do admire uh, you know the the film as a whole, but I just always felt like it's not quite the film that everybody you know it's it's held in such high regard and I, I don't know i've always had a little bit of an issue with it but although i do admire it i can't say i love it if that makes any sense so yeah uh but it was uh it is great to look at though it is an amazing and the 4k ultra hd transfer is uh is quite something so i will tell you that so uh anyway we'll move along to a few other things here we've got um another warner archive title ivanhoe which is uh the 1952 adaptation of the uh, the classic Sir Walter Scott novel. And this stars Robert Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, Joan Fontaine, George Sanders, and uh, uh, directed by Richard Thorpe. And there's a special feature. There's an Oscar-winning Tom and Jerry cartoon, The Two Mouseketeers, on here as an extra, and this is uh, the theatrical trailer. So Ivanhoe has been issued... Uh, by the Warner Archive collect as part of the Warner Archive collection rather. And speaking of Warner Brothers, uh, Cry Macho has made its way to physical disc, uh, the uh, latest Clint Eastwood film uh, from back in September. Um, Dear Evan Hansen has been issued by Universal. That uh, was a, a much anticipated adaptation of a Broadway show that was kind of met with uh, critical indifference. Uh, when it was released last fall, and I think it did, didn't do very well. So uh, there's that. Mill of the Stone Women is a uh, is a uh, Italian giallo thriller that's been issued by Arrow Video. That has uh, been issued with a new transfer and uh, some uh, new new commentaries and featurettes and all that stuff. So I just want to mention the Mill of the Stone Women. The Andy Griffith Show, I know this is getting into television stuff, but we'll mention it, that it has the complete series has been issued on a uh, Blu-ray box set. So you can get it all at one place if you're an Andy Griffith fan. Uh, Giallo Essentials is a new box set of uh, Giallo films. Arrow Video has issued uh, all uh, this collection. I think it's four films. 
And I don't, I didn't get a review copy. I don't have all the titles in front of me, but just wanted to to mention those. Uh, Trog is the uh, Joel Crawford film from 1970. It's infamous. <laughs> yes. This is the one that has. Tell me uh, this is in 4K. Uh, it's a 2K uh, restoration, I believe. Uh, yeah. It is. It's um. Screen, uh, Screen Factory has issued this, and there are a couple of, there's new commentary, a couple of new, uh, I think there's a new commentary. There's something, something new here, I believe. Uh, it's a new feature. But I, again, didn't get a review copy, but this is infamous, uh, for being the uh, final film for Joan Crawford, where she stands around and drinks Pepsi because she was the, uh, what, chairman, the, the chair, uh, the, the, the chair of the board at the time, I think, for, for uh, Pepsi, I think she had married the, the guy who was in, was was running Pepsi, and he died, and she took over. And there's product placement of Pepsi in the film somehow, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember that. There's it great stuff talk- on that in the that uh, miniseries on Betty and Joan, which mm-hmm. I thought I thought was really well done. And I'm generally not a fan of Ryan Murphy stuff, but mm-hmm. I thought that miniseries was really great. And they actually have sequence that takes place on the Trog set. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what's most notable about Trog to me, beyond Joan Crawford, is that Freddie Francis directed it. That's right. Yeah, I totally forgot about And that, that Freddie thing. Francis directed it the same year he did Gurley, which is a great, great under-the-radar movie. Mm-hmm. But I, yes. can't, for the life of me, can't figure out why he agreed to do Trog, what he was thinking. Right. That is a that is one of the the mysteries of life, as they say. Gurley yeah, is Gurley a smart camp, but uh, Trog is uh, you know I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't know what Trog is. <laughs> Nobody else knows either. Wow, that's amazing. That's something. Yeah, this is uh, it's pretty uh, it's well it, it you know it. I guess it's it's good to have it out there. Let's just say that for whatever it's worth. I'm glad they decided to to release it. So, uh, you know, I haven't. I saw it when I was a kid, and uh, it's I think probably I don't know probably 30 years ago, 35 years ago, something like that. Maybe when I was a teenager, and I think that's probably the last time I've seen it. So yeah. Um, Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, the uh, latest, uh, the, the sequel to the Venom from a couple of years ago. This has been issued by Sony. Uh, that's out there. The Last Duel uh, has been issued by Disney, which uh, you know it's actually a 20th Century Fox title, but since they bought out Fox, they own it now, and that didn't do very well. That was uh, the Ridley Scott film that failed miserably at the box office last fall. I saw it. I thought it was fine, uh, not great, not terrible, um, but. Um, Anyway, just want to mention that my stepmother is an alien. The uh, the the film directed by uh, Richard Benjamin, the comedy with the uh, this was Kim Basinger, the same year she did Batman, right? I believe. And it uh, this was a uh, not very well reviewed when it came out. I remember that. Um, maybe there were a couple of good reviews here and there, but um, I have yet to watch this. I to have the review copy and still haven't gotten around to it. Uh, I just remember the word not being so good on it, but this new uh, edition from uh, Arrow Video has uh, some new extras. Uh, there's some some stuff there. Uh, new commentary, I think. Uh, new featurettes. Yeah. So, uh, My Stepmother is an Alien from 1988. Rather, 88. It wasn't 89. I'm sorry. That was the year before Batman. So, anyway... Um, Oh, so moving along to, let's see what else we have here. The Fabulous Dorsey's has been issued by uh, Classic Flicks. This was a 1947 uh, film with the Dorsey Brothers, the musical act. Uh, this is um, uh, has been famously in the public domain for years, but they've restored this film uh, through an online campaign, I think. So um, Classic Films? Yeah, class, classic flicks, I believe. Classic flicks, I think oh. that's it. Yeah, I think that's the label. Anyway, the the uh, fabulous Dorseys, and the No Time to Die has been issued on 4K. Uh, that made its way to um, to home video um, on December 21st, and Blu-ray as well. And there are a couple of there the new the uh, documentary that was made specifically for Apple TV uh, about Daniel Craig and his place in the Bond 
franchise that has been retained on this disc, along with a few new featurettes as well. I uh, don't know if you got around to seeing it. I did, and uh, I thought it was good insofar as the Daniel Craig franchise has been. I think it was a little bit better than Spectre, but still a little overlong. And, um, you know, it's. I heard one critic, I forget who said this, but they said, the problem with the Daniel Craig Bond films is if you can imagine an episode of Columbo where it starts out and Columbo has already solved the crime and he's uh, he's he's going home and sulking because he wants to get out of the business. And he said that's essentially what the what those movies are like. <laughs> and I have to tend to agree. Uh, so it's kind of like that, um, you know, because every movie uh, or the last couple rather have been about him wanting to get out and make a clean break and all this stuff. And it does get to be a little bit much, uh, you know, after a while, but. Anyway, yeah, but I, I liked it fine. I liked yeah, it. I did too. the The practical effects were good. Uh, you know, I love the stunts and all that stuff. And there's a lot, there's a lot to embrace. But uh, anyway, he had um, a he had a really good run. I mean, I, I don't know why people are going out of their way to find fault with with his stretch of the franchise. Right. It's yeah. Pretty much, just... pretty much the most impressive stretch that any of the actors have had outside of Connery. That's true. I, I mean, That's Pierce true. Brosnan was cursed with the worst Bond movies. Roger Moore yeah. went too long. He has got ridiculous. <laughs> That's true. And I I, pr- of... I appreciated the callbacks to the, the Her Majesty's Secret Service, you know, which yeah, I thought I was like really smart and uh, kind of sophisticated, the, bound to go over everyone's heads except people that knew the Bond history, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot to like about it. I, you know, I'm not knocking it. I just, uh, I, I thought it was fine. Um, you know, and did people like uh, Bond movies because it's not my favorite. Did people like Bond movies because they resembled Columbo episodes? <laughs> or, <laughs> well, I, were, were we, I don't know. Were we ever really taken to. by the mystery? I mean, pretty much every single Bond movie, you know, the villain from the first 20 minutes, right? He's introduced, and actually, in yep. this one, whatever his name is, Malik. Is that his name? Yeah, Rami, Rami Malik. Yeah, yeah, right. He's, he's in it for like maybe 15 minutes total. He's kind of like a non-entity for the most part. I was gonna say he's one of the weakest links in the movie. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, di- I didn't. You know, he was much ballyhooed, and then when I saw him, I was like, well, so so what? Belly, <laughs> ballyhooed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, whatever. But uh, yeah, it was it was fine. It was fine. Did I'm you see the director's cut of Rocky versus Drago? I have not. I have it. I have it, but uh, have not. Uh, what's uh, what's your take on that? Uh, you know that that Rocky Four is like ninety percent music montage. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very music video-y. Yeah, this one cuts that down a bit, though. It retains the most important montage moments. It seems like he's making a lot of. Uh, it was fine. Uh, I talked to my friend Aaron and he loved it. He thought the the the, the editing decisions were really right on the money, but uh, mm-hmm. it seemed to me like a lot of times he was using different footage just for the sake of using it, just to make mm. it different. Yeah, that could be. Um, you know, for instance, the original ends on this freeze frame. That's a perfect way to end it. It's it ends on that victorious note, and for no reason at all, he just carries it on in the director's cut where. He gets out from under the ropes and he walks out into the audience with his wife and, and then it freeze frames on something that's not very punchy. It's just, you know, new footage for the sake of putting it in. Yeah, and I heard that they didn't use Burning Heart at the end of the movie. I heard they used... No, they uh, go back to Eye of the Tiger. Uh, yeah, which doesn't make sense because Burning Heart was the movie that was a hit from the movie. So it was, yeah. It was the song, rather, that was a hit. That's Survivor, words. right? Is yeah, that, it was a hit. It was a huge hit. It was top ten. Yeah, Burning Heart was really. Yeah, got to like number six. Yeah, oh. sold sold over a million copies. It was a big, Burning big Heart, just about. Yeah, to, yeah. I, think, yeah, I mean, it was. What what is the ahead. music montage after he talks to his wife? That uh, may be. Uh, There's no easy way out by Robert Tepper. Yeah. Okay. I think they retain that. Yeah, that was that was also a hit, although not nearly as. Biggest burning heart, but it actually charted. It got in the twenties, I think, on the pop charts. Oh, Rocky Four was huge. Yeah, there were several hits from that movie. There was, uh, like I said, No Easy Way Out, and of course, Living in America was top ten, and Burning Heart was top ten, yeah. and um, 
Meanwhile, so, you know, I, meanwhile, yeah. Where's Angel of the City from Cobra? I mean, where did that where did that chart? <laughs> Didn't make the grade, my friend. That's just uh, that's a crime. Too bad. I know. A yeah. Voice Rocky. of America, son. I swear to God, that's a great song from Cobra. <laughs> Beaver Broadband, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like John. I liked uh, Cafferty in the Beaver Brown Band. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, uh, there were more pop hits on the Rocky Four soundtrack than there were on. Rock- I think Rocky Three was uh, mostly score, the Bill Conti score, and then you had Eye of the Tiger. And yeah, I think that was pretty much couldn't it. Escape that song. Yeah, and Man, I think there was on continual loop on radio back then. Yeah. But yeah, it was the big hit. It, it obviously was number one and stayed there for several weeks. But Burning Heart, people tend to forget that that was, even though not quite as big of a hit as I as I the Tiger, it was close. It came very close. Although, you know, for some reason, you know how songs are. It's weird because songs will be hits, and then for some reason, radio programmers decide that they're not to be ever played again. And it doesn't matter how many they sold when they were originally popular. And it was one of those songs that just, you know, it doesn't get. Doesn't mm. get hit, heard on in rotation, but I remember because I'm an old fart uh, how popular that song was when it came out. It was huge, so um, so I was shocked when I heard that they had chosen not to include that. So uh, at the end, but uh, somebody told me, and I have the Creed to uh, 4K, and I never watched any of the deleted scenes. And somebody told me that there's an incredible deleted scene on there where uh, the, where Rocky and uh, Drago have this moment of reconciliation where they kind of, and it was not included in the film, and I need to go look at that. Uh, and they said it was just a really powerful scene that was cut for whatever reason, and it just says so much about their dynamic and their relationship, you know, as, and what they've been through together and uh, somebody was telling, urging me that I should go and watch that. I need to I need I to feel do like that. I've seen that. My memory. I feel like I've seen that scene, but uh, yeah, it's so odd that they cut that out of Creed too. Creed I know, two? I know. Yeah. yeah, Creed two, and somebody was saying that they couldn't understand it either. They said, you know, I wasn't there, I wasn't the editor, I don't know what the, you know, it wasn't my decision, but it, it's just such a perfect scene, this deleted scene where they, you know, kind of have this moment. And I thought, I gotta, I gotta watch it. So you just reminded me, I need to do that, and I appreciate it. So uh, that's a good. I don't thing. know, Tally Shire is such the this. It's, I think. The, the major ingredient in the heart of that franchise. Oh, sure. Yeah, she's great. So when they killed her off in Rocky Balboa, so mm-hmm. hard to get, get these keep these movies straight. It just it lost something for me. I agree. I agree. Uh, I wish she could have at least it made it for one more movie. Uh, you know, the 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 Rocky. But well, she did make it for five. But I mean, one that was actually pretty good. Because uh, five was pretty bad, so. And the way they handled her and the, in, in memory, and she was just this kind of discombobulated head in the corner of the screen. It just <laughs> didn't true. seem very good. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So there's uh, I'm I'm curious to see where they uh, is Creed three. It's still going, or or have they finished it? Or I was talk about them just, doing. It's so fucking ridiculous. It really is. Enough because... with the Rockies already. <laughs> Well, they, they said there was going to be a Creed 3, but Rocky wasn't going to be in it, is the last I heard. And mm. then Stallone then said, well, there may be another Rocky movie. So it gets really crazy. Yeah. I mean, we get it. We, we understand the we understand the legacy of the whole thing. You know, there's, there's no adding on to it at this point, I don't think. But. No, keep them coming, though. I don't care. I'll be a sucker. I'll go see them all. So, uh I'm a sucker. And I really did like Creed 2, I have to admit. I, I really did. I was so surprised at how emotionally resonant that movie turned out to be. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, I just was I was quite moved by it. I, I went into it thinking, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I was quite a surprise. So <clears throat> big, big fan. Anyway, uh, so we'll move along again, yet again with uh, the Screen Factory release of The Vampire Lovers from 1970. And uh, this one, uh, oh, this is one of those hammer horror films, uh, except this one has a little bit of a lesbian twist on it. Uh, it stars uh, Ingrid Pitt and Peter Cushing. And uh, I think the uh, the vampire of the film is a female vampire who seeks other female vampire victims, I believe, and uh again didn't get a chance to see it I, I know this film has a reputation and i've always wanted to see it but just never 
I've gotten to it. Um, there's a new 4K scan of the original camera negative here, a new interview with the film historian Kim Newman, Trailers from Hell segment where Mick Garris talks about it, uh, audio commentary with the director, Roy Ward Baker. Obviously, this is a uh, this is an older commentary because he's been long gone. Uh, star Ingrid Pitt and screenwriter Tudor Gates uh, are also on that commentary. And uh, then there's some... Um, an audio commentary with film historians Marcus Hearn, Jonathan Rigby, and uh interview with actress Madeline Smith. Um, and uh, there's uh, New Blood, Hammer Enters the 70s, which is a, a featurette that's included here. So, The Vampire Lovers has been issued by uh, by Kino, uh, brother, uh, Scream Factory. We'll get it out. And a couple other Scream Factory releases are Lady in a Cage from 1964, which I think is a terrific film. I'm so glad to see this. Uh, this is Olivia de Havilland in that, well, basically it's it's a callback to what you were talking about earlier uh, when you were talking about Feud. This is uh, one of those films when they were making these aging actresses into scream queens, I guess you would say, and uh, this was Olivia de Havilland's uh, chance at that type of thing. And this is a very effective film. Uh, very, very violent for a 1964 film, and I remember my father telling me about it uh, that he was shocked because there's a scene where a man's head gets run over by a car in the film. It's actually James Kahn's character in the film. He gets run over, he stumbles, his his eyes are gouged out by Olivia de Havilland at one point, and he stumbles into the road, and, and his his head is run over by a car and crushed, and they show it in all of its gory detail. And this was a 1964 Paramount film, so uh, my dad, I remember telling me how shocked he was when he saw this in a theater. And uh, it basically what the plot of the film is that a woman is uh, she's uh, Olivia de Havilland is her uh, has broken both of her legs and she has this elevator that gets her to and to the from the bottom floor to the top in her house. And the power goes out and she's trapped in between. And so James Caan and two other uh, there's a trio of hoodlums led by James Caan. They come in and ransack the house and they terrorize her. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty like I said, very effective. Uh, Ann Southern is also in it. And um Jeff Corey, the uh, famous acting teacher, he turns up in it. It's directed by uh, Walter Grauman. Uh, very stylishly done. So uh, anyway, Lady in a Cage, I would highly recommend our listeners if you've not seen this film to get it or, or seek it out or something. Cause it's, it's, a, it's a good one. And uh, it definitely is. Uh, it's uh, a humdinger. Uh, and that's no Bollyhoo. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Rod Steiger, here we go, calling back again. That's funny. Uh, no way to treat a lady. His uh, 1960, the 1968 thriller where he's a, a master of disguise and he's a serial killer who disguises himself and uh, to carry on his uh, activities. And this also stars uh, Lee Remick and George Siegel. And um, George Siegel, I think, is the detective on his trail. And this uh, does it have the, does it have that movies. Helen Reddy song in it? <laughs> That was a couple of years before that re- was released. So, uh, yeah, but uh, that was, they should reissue it and put that in. That's a that's a, that's a good idea. F- it would fit perfectly as he's killing someone. <laughs> there yeah. ain't no way to treat a lady. <laughs> there you go. The uh, the uh, re-edit of No Way to Treat a, and then you a can, Lady. Then you can cut to him crying it to Bob Costas. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one too, though. No way to treat a lady. I saw it years ago, and it's it's pretty effectively done. So anyway, uh, there's that, and uh, the day the world ended, which is from 1955, which that's was made Roger last Corman. week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as relevant as it's ever been. Uh, I think that's a Roger Corman production, I believe. Um, Anyway, uh, that's another Screen Factory release. So all three of these uh, have been issued uh, by the company with new, a few new extras, uh, commentaries and featurettes, whatnot. The Sherlock Holmes Vault Collection, which uh, features some of the uh, greatest adventures of uh, Sherlock Holmes as portrayed by Basil Rathbone and, uh, from 1931 to 1937. I think there are about four or five films in this set, so I wanted to mention that. The, uh, the Many Saints of Newark, which is the prequel to the Sopranos television series, has made its physical disc, so that's been issued. And uh, so there's that. And, um, and so we're getting into the last week of December, and we'll mention a couple of things here. Oh, let's see. Um, I think the... Uh, 
The major release for that week, well, there's two of them. One was the French Dispatch from 2021, of course. That was the uh, Wes Anderson film that was getting some some pretty good critical notices. Uh, that's finally uh, been issued on physical disc. And uh, then we have the Shaw Scope box set, which is a pretty pretty amazing collection to to round out the month, I would say. And what this is is um, it's uh, you know the Shaw brothers were a uh, studio in Hong Kong, and they turned out a lot of kung fu films and giant monster films and uh, Quentin Tarantino is was such a fan of their output that he actually uh, borrowed their Shaw Scope logo, and it's you can see it at the beginning of Kill Bill Volume One. So that's how much of a fan he was. And anyway, what we have here, I think, is a, an eight film collection of uh, some of their greatest output. It's being billed as Shaw Scope Volume One and uh, Shaw Scope Collection Volume 1. And anyway, some of the films that are included are The Chinatown Kid and King Boxer. And we have The Mighty Peking Man, The Five Venoms, and The Crippled Avengers. These are some interesting titles, and all of these are, the ones that I've seen are extremely entertaining, I must tell you. Uh, Heroes of the East, and they were, uh, is another title. They were filmed in this uh, process. Shaw scope their super wide uh, aspect ratios, so the, uh, for so they have a, a, a frame wide frames with lots of stuff going on on all sides. And the five Shaolin masters, uh, the boxer from Shantung. Just two other titles. And then we have uh, let's see, just going through the collection here. Let's see the challenge of the masters. Executioners from Shaolin. And then we have a uh, two CDs, which includes a lot of their musical cues. So you get two of the uh, soundtracks. Uh, it's the uh, the DeWolf Music Library. If uh, you know they those some of those cues have been used in lots of lower budget films. And uh, you get two whole discs of the DeWolf music cues that are included here, along with a beautiful uh, book. The booklet that comes with this, and uh, it's a, just a, a terrific set for fans of Hong Kong cinema. And uh, there's some the ones that I've gotten around to seeing are just uh, terrific, superb entertainment. And I'm a huge fan of Mighty Peking Man. You know, uh, speaking of Quentin Tarantino, he also reissued Mighty Peking Man in theaters uh, right after uh, you know Pulp Fiction was released. He used his clout to get that back in theaters, and it's 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 a hoot if you haven't seen it. It's um, it was. Made in 1977, it's basically a retelling of the King Kong story, but done in a very unique way, I'll just say. And, uh, um, you know, it has it features uh, people getting trampled to death by elephants and uh, people getting mauled to death by tigers. And so you, you get to see that in addition to a, a giant ape on the loose. So there's uh, <laughs> lots of delights in the Mighty Peking Man. 